0: Good to see you all. Uh, just, a, just a little heads up, if you need to get to know me, want to hang out, uh, Tony will buy us lunch and we can go out on him. He said for the next three months. <laughs> we have a See, we had it muted it's for the... Oh, it's so good to be here with you guys. Uh, I'm excited to jump into the book of Colossians. So uh, let me invite you this morning to open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. If you need a Bible, put up your hand. One of our ushers would love to to give you a copy of the word of God. And we'll be in verses 15 through 17 this morning. Tony's been sharing with us about how Paul has been offering the church at Colossae some practical ways that we are called to live out the Christian life. He's been telling believers that we are to put sin to death, to live a new life, to put off the filthy garments of our old self and to put on the new clothes of obedience that reflect our true identity in Christ Jesus. As Christians, we have been united with with our Lord and have been called to the challenging task of holiness, living a life that is pleasing to our God. To live set apart from the rest of the world and to put sin to death in our mortal bodies. We are called to put on obedience, to put on Christ's likeness. And Paul's concern here in chapter 3 has been not only to tell us about the tasks of Christian obedience, but to also provide us with the tools that are necessary to help us live and grow in that obedience. If you want to know how to live out your Christian faith, Paul is spelling it out for us really clearly. Now, a few years ago, my wife and I decided that a great gift for our kids would be a foosball table. You know what I'm talking about, those little mini soccer things. Now some of you might be thinking, oh, that's a great gift, not so fast. Those things don't show up at your doorstep assembled. <laughs> right? They show up in a million pieces. those pieces require an engineering degree to, just to get it together, right. <clears throat> now, this is not my gifting or my strength, but guess who had the privilege of putting said foosball table together, this guy. And so I lay out the instructions, take out all the pieces and I begin to mutter and complain because those instructions just never really tell you the right way. And I'm watching videos online, I'm trying to get this table together. And I finally finish. And I stand back to marvel at my handiwork. It was great. And I look in the ground and I'm like, there's a lot of pieces left over. <laughs> and then I look closely at the table and all the, some of the soccer players are backwards. They're not facing the correct direction. Which if you don't know, you have to take the entire pole off, dismantle everyone on the rod, and then reassemble it to get it all correctly. Now... Some of you have had this experience before. And and if you're like me, you did what every father does in this situation. You blame everyone else except yourself. Right? You blame the instructions. You blame the manufacturer. You blame the fact that it didn't come assembled, ready to go. You blame everyone but yourself. But Paul... Wants to make sure that we don't have those same excuses. Here in the book of Colossians, Paul is saying, look, there is no excuse to not live an obedient life because the Lord has laid it out clearly for us in his word. See, he doesn't want us to make that same excuse, you know, that that excuse where I'd, I'd obey God's word, but it's just so unclear. I don't know how. I don't have the right tools. The instructions are unclear. I'd be so much more faithful if Jesus would only. Here in Colossians 3, Paul wants us to make sure we know that God has given us everything we need to live a holy life. He has given us the peace of Christ to secure our unity. The word of Christ to advance the ministry. And the name of Christ to turn everything that we do into a doxology, a life of worship and praise. Before we read our passage this morning, I want to highlight the way that these three verses are structured. Because each verse gives us an exhortation to do something specific. Every single verse mentions Christ Jesus and every single verse calls us to be thankful. In verse 15, Paul's focus is on the unity of the church. And the peace of Christ that is the tool that God uses to preserve the unity amongst us. In verse 16, Paul is focused on the ministry that each and every believer is called to. That we are not just passive receivers and uh, consumers of the word, but we are called to teach and admonish one another. Every believer is a minister of the word, and as we minister, the word of Christ will dwell in us richly. Then in verse 17, Paul's focus is on the doxology. It's everything that we do. Is for the sake and the glory of the Lord Jesus, a life lived for worship. Unity, ministry, and doxology. That is the message of Colossians 3:15 through 17. But my sermon's not done. Just so you know, that's not the end. Now, those three things are key ideas here in these three verses, but not only that, because in every single verse. Paul reminds us that this must all be done from a heart of thankfulness and gratitude. You see, these tools that Paul is giving us are there to help us grow as he calls us to put to death our sinful ways and live to righteousness. He calls us to put off the old self and to put on the new life of Christ's likeness. And these are the instructions he gives us for how to do that. So before we continue, I'm going to ask you to stand. And I want to read these verses uh, together. Can we read them together? I don't know if you do this, but uh, I'm going to do it because I can. So I want us to read these words in one voice, as one body. And let's hear the words of Paul here in Colossians 3, 15-17. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts through him. Let's pray together, church. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your precious word. We thank you that you have given us the tools to live a holy life, that you haven't redeemed us and then sent us on a path where we have no idea what to do. Or we don't have to put together the foosball table without your instructions. So Lord, we thank you for your precious word. May it guide us and instruct us. And mold us into the image of Christ so that we can live holy lives, fully pleasing to him. We ask this all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church. You may be seated. Verse 15 says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you were called in one body and be thankful. See, Paul's focus here is that we've been called to unity. Unity. We are one body, one church. There's not 500,000 churches in the world. There is one church, the church of Jesus Christ. Paul has talked about the church several times throughout the book of Colossians. Because in the church at Colossae, false teachers had come in and they were spreading disunity and division. And relationships amongst the members of the church were on edge. They weren't getting along. And the church was suffering as these believers struggled with these false teachers in their midst. And Paul's concern for our holiness is that our first duty in right living is never contentious. It's never divisive. And it's certainly never something we pursue on your own. This faith that you've been given, it wasn't given just to you. It's been given to us. It's a group project. Which we all loved in elementary school, right? And in high school. It was group projects. But this is a much better group project. I promise. You see, the Christian faith is something we pursue together. And if you and I want to become more like Jesus, you cannot do that on your own. It's not just me and Jesus. Paul says... Your hearts, it's plural. The peace of Christ isn't something you're given alone, it's also something we share. As we live together in unity, the peace of Christ is given to each one of us. Now the word here for, uh, that he uses is rule, carries this idea of a referee or an umpire, right? Someone who uh, goes to a sporting event and they decide something's out of bounds, if somebody breaks uh, Breaks a rule, something they do is a foul. That's what a referee is. And Paul's saying, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let it be a referee. Let it tell you when you are causing disunity, when your relationships are broken, when things in your life aren't going how they should. The peace of Christ is the referee that will tell you when your behavior is out of bounds. When you're you're committing a foul, when, when you speak, when it speaks to your conscience, to your heart. And it calls you back to unity. Back to right relationships in the body of Christ. Now before you became a Christian, you were an enemy of God. There was no peace between you and God because of your sin. But because of the cross of Jesus Christ, you've been reconciled to God and adopted into his family, into the body of Christ. And now you are at peace with God because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. See, but the peace that we've been given isn't just a peace between you and God the Father. It's a peace also between one another. Philippians, Paul tells us, the peace of God which surpasses all understandings, Understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He's given us a peace that guards our hearts and our minds. A peace that passes all understanding. And it comes as you realize that you and I were once dead in our sins and our trespasses. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And by grace you have been saved. Because of the grace of God, we have been redeemed and we have been given peace. Peace between us and God and peace that rules our hearts so that our relationships can be maintained and can stay in healthy places. It guards our hearts and our minds and it corrects us when we stray, just like a referee or an umpire. Now you've all experienced how this works, correct? Correct. When you know you've sinned against a brother or sister in Christ, maybe they're in this room today and you think, oh, yeah, we had that past conflict. And that peace that you felt when you come into the room is shattered, right? There's enmity between you and someone else, a brother or sister. And that inner referee in your heart says, hey, that was a foul. What you did was wrong. The words you said were hurtful. Your attitude was unchristlike. like can I encourage you, church, that in those seasons when you feel as though you've not grown in your Christian life, most of the time it's because you have wrong relationships. You have, you have difficulty in your relationship with your brothers and sisters. And it stunts your growth. It, it stunts your relationship with Christ because it is His body that you're damaging those seasons when we've allowed resentment or hurt to eat away at us. Those seasons when we've held a grudge against someone else. Those are those seasons when, when the referee is crying foul and we ignore him. And we try to play the game our own way. And Paul is saying here that we need to let the peace of Christ play referee for our hearts. And tell us when we've committed foul. Let it correct us. And when that happens, Paul's already told us how we're supposed to respond. Back in verse 13, he said, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so must you also forgive. And can I just say, if there's hurt in a relationship here in this room or with somebody in this body, make it right today. Go to that person and, and, and confess, hey, I wronged you. I hurt you. What I said was wrong. What I did, I know it was hurtful. Please forgive me. There is no excuse in the body of Christ for disunity. He has called us to peace, not only with him, but with one another. Now let's look together at verse 16. Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom." singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Paul is telling us how we practically put sin to death. How we make progress in in the Christian life, right? And the plan is to let the word of Christ, God's word, dwell in you richly. Now this isn't implying that you just simply read your Bible, that you have a, a reading plan and you check off the box each day. That is a good thing to do, but that's not what Paul's talking about. He's saying it's, it's time to allow God's word to penetrate deep into your hearts, where you dwell on it, you meditate on it, and you make it part of who you are. Let me ask you a hard question When was the last time you changed your behavior because of something God's word told you? When was the last time you read God's word and you said, that doesn't align with the way I'm living. I should do it this way instead. That's what Paul's talking about. Letting the word of God dwell so deeply that it changes your very nature. So how does this happen? Paul says it happens when we're more than just consumers of the word. It happens when we teach and admonish one another with the word of God. It happens when we become ministers of the word. Now I'm a pastor, but that's not what Paul's talking about. He's not saying, oh, you need to come and, and preach from a here. That's, that's not being a minister of the word. It happens when we run to the word for every one of life's Problems. When we run to the word to give others counsel. When we run the, to the word to pray, to worship, to seek his will. Are you running to God's word for every moment, every question, every, every instance that you have in your life? The book of James says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Put it into practice. Live it out faithfully. Don't just hear the word on Sunday, but proclaim the word of God throughout your week. Sharing the word with one another and into the the world around us. And can I tell you, this world needs the word of God desperately. So you and I have all been called to the ministry of the word. And when you share the word with others for their good... Paul says that word goes more deeply into your own heart. When you become a minister of the word and you begin to share God's truth with those around you, that truth, it's implanted deep in your heart. And it dwells in you richly. The word grows within us as we teach and admonish one another. Now, Paul also gives us a particular context in which this takes place. As we gather together as the body of Christ. look at the second half of verse 16. He says, "Teaching and admoni- admonishing one another in all wisdom. but it didn't stop there. This it, is one thought: singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. You see, the context that Paul has in mind here is worship. It's the gathering of the saints together to sing praise. As one body. And he tells us that when we gather together to worship God, we're doing two things simultaneously. We are giving praise to God, and that's good and right, and we all understand that part of it. But we are also gathering together as one body. So there's a vertical dimension to our worship. Where we are giving God glory and praise and honor that is due His name. And there's also a horizontal aspect of our worship. Where we are teaching and admonishing one another as we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Uh, I bet you most of you didn't come this morning and be like, okay, I'm going to teach, teach my brothers and sisters this morning while I sing. Any of you think that was what's happening? Yeah, of course not. But Paul is saying, look, when we gather together as the body of Christ, I need to hear you sing. Because when you do, you're teaching one another the word of God. This is how the word of God begins to dwell in us richly. When you sing praises to God, we need to give ourselves with enthusiasm and devotion to that praise. Not just for our own sake, but for the sake of those around us. To teach and admonish one another, to encourage one another with the word of God. I think if you start to think about your worship, that time of singing in this way, it will give you such a better understanding of what we're actually doing. We're not singing because we like the songs or because the band's really good. We're singing to teach one another the word. I'm gonna offer a bit of correction for some of you. And don't be offended. If you're offended, come talk to me and I'll give you a big hug and it'll be fine. (laughs) But I'm gonna offer some correction to you who do not enjoy the singing time during the service. Now, in fairness, I was also a worship pastor for about 15 years in my previous churches. But let me ask you a question. For those of you who don't sing, what are you saying to your God when you stand there with lips closed and arms crossed? (laughs) You know, I like the amens. Yeah, we're good. What are you saying to one another? When you stand there with a hard heart. Now, excuse is often, I'm not a good singer. Right? I don't want people to hear me. I don't have a good singing voice, so I'm going to pass. But worship never calls you to be the loudest person in the room, just for the record. You can kind of mouth it quietly. It's fine. Just open your mouth and sing praise to God because when you do, you are bringing Him glory and you are preaching the word to your brothers and sisters around you. Church, it's an essential part of why we gather. As you sing the truth of God's word, it also takes root in your heart. And hopefully, as you sing the words on the screen, you're thinking, oh, that's from Colossians, that's from the Psalms, that's from, I love that passage. It's an opportunity for us when we gather to be mindful not just of our own situation but of our brothers and sisters around us. Because worship is not about forgetting about everyone else in the room and just having some you in Jesus time. You can do that on in your own. That's great. When we gather here in this place, it's a group project. And worship is now about third or d do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I don't know about you, but this is one of those verses that convicts me every time I read it. Because I don't do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, but I want to. See, this is an incredible bit of encouragement from Paul. He says, let everything you do, all of your words, all you see the way you're living your life, they too want to exalt and glorify Jesus. This is why this verse convicts me. Because <laughs> it's so difficult. Because everything that we do is worship. Whether we're worshiping Christ or we're worshiping this world or something else, everything we do is, in fact, worship. Most of the time, it's worship of self. But Paul's reminding us that our entire life is a doxology. Our entire life is set apart for the praise and the glory of our God. This is why Paul says to, in Romans 12 present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, your spiritual worship. This is not when we gather here, it's every moment of your life. When you're driving your car, when you're eating a meal, when you're going to work, every moment is set apart as a doxology, as a time to worship and glorify your God. Worship is offering your whole self, everything you do, everything you say, everything that you are for the glory of the name of Jesus Christ. That's our mission. That's our goal. Which means that we should getting into the habit of asking ourselves regularly. Before we speak. Before we take action. Is what I'm doing bringing Christ glory? Is what I'm thinking, is what I'm saying, is that honoring to the Lord? Would I say this in front of Jesus? And a lot of times the answer is no. Are my actions representative of a follower of Christ? When the world sees my behavior, do they also want to exalt and praise the name of Jesus? See, Paul's reminding us, church, that we exist to make everything, everything we do, whether it's in word or deed, an action that brings glory and praise to our Father. Now, the last thing I want to point out, church, is that in every single verse in 15 through 17, Paul's reminded us that these behaviors must go hand in hand with thankfulness and gratitude. Verse 15 says, be thankful. Verse 16 says, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Verse 17 says, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. I think gratitude is one of those uh, essential parts of Christian obedience. If you want to begin to learn how to follow Christ, start with a thankful heart. Gratitude... Is the confession of our utter dependency upon the Lord for everything. What do you have that doesn't come from Him? What blessings do you have that weren't given from His hand? Jerry Bridges wrote this He said, Thankfulness to God is a recognition that God, in His goodness and faithfulness, has provided for us and cared for us, both physically and spiritually. It is a recognition that we are totally dependent upon him. That all we are and have comes from God. Paul is telling the Colossian church to be thankful when the peace of Christ plays referee in your heart and calls out your behaviors and your actions. And stops you from creating disunity in the church. Be thankful for that correction. He says, let thankfulness be a central part of the ministry of the word. Both as you speak his word and as you sing of the glory of Christ. Let your hearts overflow with gratitude because of all that he's done for you. And he says in every word, in every action, in everything that you do, give thanks to God the Father because of who Jesus is in your life. Remember what has been done for you. Remember the price that's been paid for your sins remember what you've been rescued from and what you've been rescued to. And as you put on the new self, as you begin to learn how to live a life of holiness, when you use those tools of unity and ministry and doxology, all of it must be wrapped up with gratitude and thankfulness in our hearts. I I don't know about you, but thankfulness is something I need to be reminded of all the time, right? Because the easy thankfulness part is like we eat dinner time and we thank the Lord for our food. And often that's the time we're saying thank you to the Lord. When you woke up this morning, did you thank him for new, a new day, new breath, new life? Did you thank him that you're even able to come into this building and worship him? See, my sinfulness often just clouds my sense of gratitude, right? It causes me to be entitled and self-absorbed and ungrateful. So let's help one another, right? Let's help one another with the ministry of the word by speaking what is true about our God to one another. And we're going to do this in worship because I just preached about it and we might as well practice it. So I'm going to invite the band up. And we're going to do something a little different this morning. The band's going to come and they're going to lead us in the doxology. And and I want to take this moment to, to allow these words to stoke the fires of gratitude within your hearts. To remind each person of the greatness of our God and the lengths to which he went to redeem each one here. To let the unity and peace that we have as one body speak the truth to our hearts and make us thankful. So I'm going to ask you all to stand. And normally when we worship, our posture is to close our eyes or to, to focus on, on the Lord. But I'm going to ask you to look around. I was going to actually turn all the chairs, but that was a lot of work. So we'll just, I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask you to be a little more uncomfortable than you might be used to. And as you sing these words, I want you to look at your brothers and sisters in this room. And sing this truth over them. As an expression of gratitude to your God. As an opportunity to use the ministry of the word right here and right now. And I'm going to put the words on the screen for you to just think about before we do this. It says, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So as the band leads us in a few moments, we're going to just take a moment to let those words settle in. I want you to open your eyes and look around you. And sing this truth to your brothers and sisters in Christ. And let's honor Him and glorify Him in this way. Amen.